1: From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable.
2: Welcome to the DIY Sportsman Podcast with your hosts, Garrett Prawl and Boudreaux Boswell. On today's podcast, we're talking with Sean McVeigh from Sean's Outdoor Adventures on YouTube. Sean has hunted for an extremely long amount of time up in Pennsylvania, and he's been pretty successful there. And just recently, he's done an out of state trip to Iowa, and not only that, he's actually got up and moved. To Iowa. So now he's an Iowa resident and he's got the whole last season essentially where he hunted in Iowa as a resident. So now with that experience, both kind of hunting the Pennsylvania public land and now doing non-resident and resident in Iowa, which is, as we all know, one of the most sought after states for whitetails. So we just really wanted to dive in and ask him what his experiences were like, what he thinks East versus West. Is Iowa really worth it for out-of-staters and to see what he has planned for next year?
1: Yeah. Yeah, cuz there's a there was a lot that I learned through all that. So, there was a lot that surprised me. So, yeah, I have a lot of insight that I can give people. Man, you
2: you are probably most well known for your YouTube channel. Yeah. Which you you do kind of similar content to what I do on YouTube, just a whole bunch yeah. of deer hunting content, teaching people how to hunt, how to scout, how to, you know, use equipment, how to read maps, all that good stuff. Yeah. I'm curious. Is the is the hunting land in Iowa very expensive?
1: You know what? It, it's more. It's definitely more expensive than I was hoping it would be. So I've been doing real estate searches for the past month or so, and so I'm I'm in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, which is east eastern side of Iowa for the most part. Like if I drive straight east, I can be in Illinois in about an hour or so, mm-hmm. maybe maybe a little bit more, um, but then you know north i have wisconsin south i have missouri so i'm about 2 hours from wisconsin 2 hours from missouri so when i zoom out on like zillow and it has like map view yep. and i put in like my parameters of what i can afford there's like three or four dots in all of iowa that that would <laughs> i could potentially afford and then there's like all these dots in wisconsin like right now like like as we talk i could drive 2 2 hours and 20 minutes and buy a pretty cool spot in Wisconsin, like with a cabin and like 15 acres, for less than the cheapest piece of ground I can find in Iowa. And that's because there's a lot of guys who, even though they can't hunt every year, they're buying up these farms in Iowa. So that drives the price up, and then they lease it to um, even even to uh, hunting outfitters. They will lease it to them. And then they'll say, "When I draw a tag, though, I get first dibs." You know, so now they're they're making money on. You can make money on this. Um, you can make money on the, like the CRP income, or you know, you you rent out the, the you know the the farming, and so you're making income there toward your monthly payment. And then if you're also renting out the hunting rights, you're making money there. And so it's like a super smart investment, and people have caught on to that. I mean, it's you know one thing. Real estate's one of the best investments out there. Um, it's one that seldom goes down in value. you know I mean, we had that real estate market crash in 2008, I think it was, but that was largely related to a bunch of bad loans that that lenders were writing. like they were, they were giving loans to people they shouldn't have been, and then people ended up defaulting and Now we had all these homes that were people couldn't pay for. the banks had them all. And it's just like the whole market is just, you know, um, as long as as long as they are smarter about the loans they're writing, then that protects the real estate market. But we've rebounded. Here we are, you know, we're, we're about ten, a little over ten years past it, and you know we almost forget that that happened. So anyway, real estate is a good investment. You want to you want to have a return on your investment, and you want to enjoy it, and you're a hunter. Get some hunting ground, you know, work toward that. You know, that's, that's the way I'm even looking at it. Like if I can get a piece of ground right now and get my foot in the door and then keep rolling it into a bigger investment, then by the time my kids are in college, you know, you could always sell that piece of ground. The end, the long-term intention is I can enjoy it now and then I'll sell it then and we'll, we'll have their college paid for type of a thing. So, so it's a good you, investment. If you were to buy a piece of land in Iowa, would you see yourself –
2: trying to hunt that at least some, or exclusively or or would you be trying to lease it out and just kind of use it as an investment while Uh, you're
1: well for me because I produce hunting videos for I don't want to say for a living because it's not my primary income right now but it is I'm like you know realistically we're semi-professional hunters you know what I mean by the fact that we create content that is monetizable and that people are watching and that you know, brings us income. Yeah. So anyway, for me, one of the reasons I moved to Iowa was for the hunting. And the thing that I found out when I got here, which I was super duper duper excited about is that as a landowner, you can get landowner tags. So, so as a resident, I can have a buck tag for archery and a buck tag for gun season. But if I owned my own land that also had at least – I forget what the the, – there's like a minimum number of acres that has to be used for farming. Mm -hmm. So if you have a piece of property that has this number of acres that is used for farming, then you can get landowner tags, which means you can get like a buck tag for archery for your property and probably I think a buck tag for guns. So like right now as you sit here and we're looking at each other on Skype. So as of right now. I can get two buck tags for the state of Iowa next year, and I also—I'm going to throw this in there. I live in the city, so I did a this urban hunt they have in the city this year. Yep. And if you get if you get five doe, you qualify for a bonus buck tag the next year, which I did. Thanks be to God. So, <laughs> <laughs> so as we as we sit here, I can get three basically three buck tags for the state of Iowa next year, which is super exciting. But if I can get this piece of ground. Now you're looking at an additional tag or two and the piece of ground that I'm looking at, no one would want to like, I can, I can only afford like this 15, 20 acre piece of ground. Like that's what most of the price range I'm looking at. Mm -hmm. And I have my eye on one right now that's just out of my reach. Cause you have to have a 20% down payment and um, it's just price wise. It's just out of my reach. So in a couple months, if I keep saving, I might have enough. And if it's still there, I might go for it. So it's basically about 10, 10 and a half acres of woods and about nine and a half acres or so of cropland. And the cropland, I've been researching all this stuff, and they're renting it out for about 200 an acre, roughly. It depends on where you're at. But, you know, so there's an 1800 bucks for the year if I it out croplands and, and basically... If I can get the property for what I'd like to get it for and do that, I'm really only in it like three four hundred dollars a month for my part of the mortgage, maybe four or yeah anywhere between three and five hundred it depends on what the taxes came out to be and all but that's manageable you know and here you you have a property now you can hunt it and um and then you're you got equity, you're growing and what a lot of people do is they you know this is a small farm it's it, what it really is is that you can tell there's like a hundred acre farm and there's a corner over here that has woods. And they're like a lot of people, you'd be surprised how many people don't hunt out here. So they probably looked at that and like, we don't need that. Let's sell that. Cause somebody will actually use it for hunting and we'll take the money for whatever we need it for. And you know, we got the 80 acres that we need for farming right here. So mm-hmm. that, that's all they care about. And so that you can tell that's what this particular property owner did. And um, you know, so, but anyway, for me, I can get in that, hopefully. And then after like five years down the road, when I have a little more money saved up, you can roll that into a bigger farm. You sell it, take the equity, put it down for like, you know, a bigger farm. And you just try to keep stepping up each year. So that's that's my, I am I hope that no one from Iowa is listening to this. Because I don't, I mean, next thing you know, that piece of ground's going to get sold. And I'll be like, ah, I shouldn't have said anything.
2: Dan Jats is probably listening to this. He'll take your plan. Don't do it, Dan. Don't do it. <laughs> Um, so I mean, this Iowa move for you is, is recent, right? You've, you basically spent one full hunting season
1: in Iowa since you've moved here. Is that right? Yeah, I got, yeah. I, so I'm going to talk a little bit about what it takes to get a hunting license in Iowa as part of what I want to say here. So I'm, I moved here at the end of June in, I, cause Iowa is a state that is very sought after in our country and they've had a lot of people try to get in here buy land and and make it look like they're landowners or, I mean, residents so that they could hunt here every year, but they don't live here. So Iowa did some major cracking down on that over the years. You have to be a proven resident for at least 90 days before you're allowed to buy a hunting license in Iowa, if you've ever purchased one as a non-resident. So I did back in, I think, 2015 was when I came out. Um, and so I barely got my license I, I got my license like a day or two before opening day, you know, which was October 1st. And, um, also being moving out here, taking on a new job and I didn't have as much time as I would have liked to scout. So I, I was scouting a lot of the public land. I was, I was running cameras like crazy all over the place. I was surprised at, at, you know, some of the places I had, I was running cameras. I got like a, so many people, like, I couldn't believe how many hunters were were in this one spot. Like, I was all excited about this spot. I set up all these cameras because I didn't get to go out much. I'm like, I, I just got to get as much info as mm-hmm. I can. So I set up all these cameras. I go, and at, the first couple times I checked them, it was just me. But then as we got closer to the season, more and more guys. There were so many guys. And then out here, which is something I wasn't prepared for, they have squirrel hunting open up, like, right before archery season, I can't tell you how many squirrel hunters were out there with guns banging around. I'm like, this is going to totally mess up the deer. You know, this is going to, I'm not going to hunt there. I mean, there were so many guys. So some of the spots got ruined because of that. Some of the spots I had hardly any guys. I once in a while would get a guy walking through, but, but they, that's that particular spot. I'm thinking of the guy like smashed up my camera, ripped out the SD card. I was like, come on, really? I mean, so it was, there was some, a little bit of challenge for me. I'm um, coming into this, you know, I, I had a lot of hardships that I did not expect. So here's another thing. I'm just going to kind of roll into something Garrett and I had talked a little bit about, um, you know, beforehand, as far as what what it was like coming into this. So I came from Pennsylvania, literally out my back door was 13,000 acres of public hunting ground. I could walk out my back door and walk for miles, miles and miles and miles through the forest, and it's all public. Uh, here, I live in the city, and you, anywhere you drive within an hour, there's like they have all they have are these tiny pockets of public land. So like, there's one near me that's like 300 acres. There's another one over there that's 50 acres. There's another one over there that's like um they're tiny, and you got all these people going to them. I was just not prepared for the fact that they don't have any real big blocks of public land near me. They, they actually have one that on paper sounds good. It's like, I forget if it's ten or 20,000 acres, but it's basically all along this river. So the, the woods themselves, they're, it's not like you can go deep. You know what I mean? Like you can park and walk from the parking area all the way through the woods that they have to the river in no time at all. And we had a massive flood this year, so most of that whole ground was flooded out I mean, there's just a lot of things I was not prepared for, and so the public land was was really a bust. I was running into a lot of hunters as well. The, the beginning of the season, I got out a couple times. I, I didn't see many people, maybe one vehicle here and there. But as soon as you get close to the rut, the parking lots are filled. I was like, "Gosh!" So um, I drove. Now, when I came out here as a non-resident, <clears throat> I, I went to Zone Five. Excuse me. <clears throat> I've never said that out loud before. I can't believe. Can we delete that? (laughs) Uh, Oops. Anyway, well, that's Zone Five is the the zone everybody pretty much wants to go to. I was down there as a non-resident a few years ago, and oh man, I'm I'm about to say something that I'm going to really regret, but I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, I came out the third week of November, and um, and I basically had. You have some. You have a lot more public land down there, first of all. And I had it mostly to myself. Like everybody comes out to Iowa, even residents, they go out hunting the first two weeks in November, and then by the third week, the, the the hunting activity totally tapers off. So I was here the third week, and I had it like to myself. I had a blast, man. I was I was passing one thirty-inch bucks every day, like several um, through most of the week of my hunt. And that's something like if I encountered one in a whole season close to that size out in the east, I would have it would have been a good season, you know what I mean like so so you know one thing I learned when I came out to Iowa is you know Iowa gets this reputation of being a great state, and it is. but where I'm at, there's not enough woods, especially for the public land hunter to really go for it. you know um, So I'm in central Eastern Iowa. So if you guys like that zone seven, um, it's easier to draw a tag for this zone. But unless you're going to go just stay away from cities at least an hour because it's just there's too much punting pressure for there was a hot second today where I was thinking about where should I do the map reading challenge next year? And I was like, man, if I have a chance to get all these buck tags, like if I get a piece of property. I'm gonna... This year I did a the map challenge in Ohio because I was originally going to do it in Pennsylvania before I knew I was going to move. Mm-hmm. And then I felt bad because all the guys who I picked were expecting to do it in PA. I was like, look, the farthest I can drive is to Ohio. And here I am opening week of the hunting season leaving Iowa. To go to, I mean, Ohio is good and everything, but I'm leaving Iowa. Come on. (laughs) It was killing me. I hated it. So, uh, and we had an awful rough hunt in Ohio. I mean, it was so difficult um, where we were at. And, and I mean, everybody in the state, everyone that hunts Ohio, especially that region, knows that the deer population is just, it's just wiped out right now. And there's just not much there. So, um, so anyway, it hurt me to do that. And so when I was thinking about this coming year, it's like, man, why leave Iowa again, you know? So I thought about it. I was like, should I just look at is there any zones where guys could have a chance to draw a tag this year if they applied? And so um, anyone listening, of course, this is going to make it hard because if everyone applies. But um, zone three, uh, there was I believe it was zone three. If uh, there was a lot of there was a I think they only gave out like, 33 tags in Zone 3 last year, but 11 of those people had no points. They they drew a tag with zero points, and then the others had, like... The other people that drew a tag had one point. Are those, so, um, those
2: for non-resident applications?
1: Yeah, for non-res- non-resident, yeah. Um, so... And Zone 3 was the northwest corner of Iowa, so that's where that's at. So I don't think there's really anything going on up there as far as population goes. I should... But anyway... I was like, you know, by the time I drive all the way to northwest Iowa, I'm driving so far away from my prime spots anyway that I might as well just – I'm thinking of doing it in Missouri, so I might as well just keep it that. But anyway, so yeah, so if you're somebody listening and you're thinking, I want to hunt in Iowa someday, here's a couple things to consider. If you want to do it yourself on public land – I had a blast in the southern zone, but I will say this. This year I went to the same piece of ground in the second week of the rut, second week of November, and it was crawling with people. There was a truckload of, of Amish people that got dropped off. I was like, man, I did not anticipate this at all. Like I went, I hiked back in. I was back in about a mile and a half at this spot because there's big enough chunks of woods where you can do that there. I got there. It's actually right where I shot my buck. Um, the, well, you guys can see it on my my thing because it's back on the wall back there. But I shot my buck in Iowa at this spot the last day I was there, and I saw like a 160 class 10 point chasing does just out of range at that spot. I never got video of him because I was he was running and I didn't want to mess it up if I, if he got close enough. So I didn't even play with the camera. Um, and I saw so many shooter bucks from that same area that day but I was just out of range. So like I went over and found the, the, the perfect spot where all the deer movement was. And I found a hang on that it set up. So this year I went in there and I put a hang on in at that spot. And just as I was getting set up, there's like another flashlight coming through the woods. And um, there was just so many people there. I was, I was surprised. I mean, I, and this year All I saw, I saw a decent number of deer that day, but they were all like two-year-old eight-pointers. There was none of those shooters that I saw a couple years ago were there. Um, But anyway, my point is the second week of the season and the first week of the season, you're going to have guys all over the place, and that just makes it tough. So you want to actually look at what options do you have. I mean, some people don't want to pay for an outfitter, and that's fine. But maybe even look into uh, trying to lease a farm. You know, like I like um, I talked about maybe buying a twenty-acre farm that's half woods, half half farm. But I mean, there's a lot of apps out there now. Um, Base Map, I think it's called, and Onyx, where you can find out who owns the land. Like if you zoom in on an area and just find a small farm, you could even try contacting that landowner and say, Hey, look, I'm I'm wanting to come for a week. Um, would you, would you give me, um, you know, sell me like a hunting lease, right for the week or whatever, whatever the terminology is basically. And you might be able to, you might be able to get it for a fraction of what an outfitter is going to charge you. And, um, and if you become friends with that landowner, you could say, Hey, can you set up some trail cameras for me? Or if I send them to you or that type of thing. I mean, some out here in Iowa, there's so many deer. It's ridiculous. Like that's another big difference. Like uh, I mean, there's just there's just deer everywhere, and the, the trails are so obvious because there's so many deer that even somebody who doesn't hunt could walk out on a piece of property and just see the high the deer highways and hang a camera up. Just just you you know you tell the you tell the lander look go out and get on a beat trail and walk it till you come to an intersection of another one and hang the camera pointed at the intersection. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And you'll get plenty of data. So I mean that. those are some ideas for guys who are thinking of doing a hunt but another i guess another big piece of advice if you want to do an out-of-state hunt um on public land do it early in the season before the deer get much pressure and when they're still on their natural feeding patterns or do it late in the rut rather than the prime of the rut you know because that's when, when when guys stop when guys give up or guys don't plan their hunts and the deer aren't being pressured, they get back on their routine. They get get back up and move. So um, I had a blast the third week in November when I was here as a non-resident. Yeah, I had a
2: similar experience this last fall with southeast Minnesota. Um, We were there early in the season, kind of before anybody was really hunting. I'd say at that time of year, probably squirrel hunters are outnumbering bow hunters, maybe five or ten to one, right? So we were able to actually see quite a few deer, and yeah. even some nice deer that were hitting fields that you wouldn't expect on public land even you know during daylight uh came back in the first week of November which happens to be the first week of the firearm season here in Minnesota mm. and it was just right as as night and day different as you can expect mm. that was what we yeah. saw
1: so i can i can definitely <laughs> feel you yeah. on that one yeah so that yeah that i mean so that's some of the that's some of the things to keep in mind for people. I mean, let, and I know we were talking about maybe doing comparisons to East Coast and Midwest hunting. And, I mean, I don't know how, I don't know if you have a lot of people listening from the East Coast or not, but I would strongly encourage people who are listening from the East, like, just set your expectations based on what's there, not on what you see on TV or on videos. It, it really hurts me, like, when I hear people – you know commenting on videos on mine or he's sending me emails and talking about you know why why aren't i seeing bucks like i like i see these guys on tv or whatever it's like well where are you hunting you know like when i would hunt i grew up hunting pennsylvania i spent the last 13 years hunting the the northern region uh, mountains of pennsylvania and the deer herd is just very low right now it's it's really a management thing so uh, i guess i could talk about this a little bit too in Pennsylvania, for many years, when I was a kid, they they managed the deer by keeping as many deer in the herd as possible to make it fun for hunters. But what happened is the deer wiped out the habitat, like totally wiped out the forest. And when like management started to become a thing, like habitat management and deer herd management, and they started to look at it, they're like, wow, we, we do this all wrong. So what they did is they wiped out the deer herd they allowed for all the does to be shot, like over a certain, not all of them, but a large number compared to what used to be shot over a short period of time. And so you went from seeing, people went from seeing 20 to 40 deer on a sit to seeing no deer in three weeks of hunting. And a lot of people quit. A lot of people gave up hunting. And I came into it right around that time. So um, I was like I moved to the mountains because I always heard those stories you know and I was like I want to I want to be able to go out and see deer and when when I got there they were gone type of thing <laughs> so it was it was tough hunting and but that's what made me who I am as a hunter like I I will not tolerate going out and not getting deer so if I would go out I would say why what do I need to do and I would analyze everything t- till you know I was blue in the face Um, and I, what I, what happened though, is I began to find out things and discover things that I never knew were even remotely possible. That's how I learned how to read maps and everything is just because of me pushing myself to say, how can, how can I give myself more of an edge? And when I began to analyze the topography and where the deer trails were, like light bulbs started to go off. And I think the very first thing that triggered it actually was. Um, I, I believe God brings us to talk to people for a reason sometimes in our lives. And one day I had a conversation with this guy who hunted, who used to hunt right near where I hunted. And he was talking about hunting. He's like, I always sit in this saddle on the mountainside or on on the mountaintop over there. or It's actually a ridge. So there's a saddle in this ridge. And I didn't – I mean this is probably like 15 years ago and I, and I just had moved to the mountains and I was like, I don't know what he's talking about. What is a saddle? And he was saying like I, I would sit in that saddle and I'd always see deer and I would talk to guys who are a few hundred yards away and they would see nothing. And it didn't even – the light bulb didn't even go off right away until like a year later I was hiking across that ridge and I finally realized what he meant by the saddle, You know that dip in the ridge. Yep. And, and I'm seeing these deer trails go through the saddle. And then um and then just another light bulb goes off like, wow, you know, deer, especially in this area that the food is scarce, we're not in cropland area here, it's all about survival. And that also includes, um you know, preserving energy in the wintertime. Like, how can I get over this mountain with the least amount of energy expenditure? And that's what deer do by habit, by nature uh, in so many situations. And so I, I, so I just started to pick apart the the um, topography and analyze it from the sense what what will give the deer the biggest advantage for this or for that? What would give the deer the best advantage in the rut, you know? And, and I would see these benches were starting to pop out and be in hot spots in the rut. And, um, and so I went from seeing no deer, you know, over like a month to, you know, harvesting four deer in a season and things like that. And it was just because I was, it wasn't because there was more deer is because I was pushing myself and gaining, you know, edges that I didn't have before as far as putting myself in spots. And, um, so I, I read this book a long, long time ago called the tracker, uh, by Tom Brown Jr. I don't know if anybody's ever read that who's listening, but, um, he would talk about this Indian who trained him in the wilderness survival and tracking. And, and it was grandfather. And um, they would talk about, like, like oasises in the forest that would draw the animals in a sense. Like, that you could have all these dead zones that, that the deer and animals just don't hang out in those zones, probably because the habitat and the food isn't quite as good there. And there's people that just go wandering all through those dead zones not even knowing what they're doing. And so I kind of basically, with that concept, I began to hone in on what are the ha- – the habitat hotspots here. And I began to find them. And um it, it now it made me a better hunter and I you know a more successful hunter. But even with all that, I still struggled in a lot of situations just because of the deer numbers being low and the the hunting pressure being there. And um so in the Midwest, in Iowa, I I was shocked by the the hunting pressure and it does hurt the hunting. I got I mean i I hunted a spot on public land this year i i I didn't know the spot. I was going in basically blind based on topography alone, but when I got in there, it turned out it was it was a hot spot and I saw like I got set up in the dark in the, in this in this spot. I saw probably five to ten deer that morning, which to me is like awesome. Like wow, I came in blind and I saw five or ten deer and um and I heard a huge you know you can tell when it's a big deer. I heard a big one walking a trail and making a scrape in the dark. And when it was daylight, I saw a smaller buck walk that same trail and check a scrape like 35 yards from me. There was no shot. It was just so thick. But I was like, oh, man, like I'm in the right area. I just got to move over. Um, but within a week, like all the hunting pressure came in because the rot was coming in. And there was I didn't see a single deer in that area. You know what I mean? So um, even out here, you have you, you, you struggle with that. Um, but I think the deer, because the numbers, the number of deer is higher, they rebound quicker as well. Like when the, when the hunting pressure goes down, they get back on their routines before too long. So more so than what I experienced on the East coast. Gotcha.
2: When, so when you did your first trip to Iowa, I mean, was that like. Was that a big eye-opener then? I mean, obviously, you—you you, it sounded like you had a really good experience the first time when you went as yeah. as a non-resident, just kind of traveling, doing the DIY trip, and part of that was because of the week you went. So w- when you came and yeah. started hunting earlier in the season and started to see all this hunting pressure, was it kind of a little bit of a letdown, in a sense? You were kind of hoping it might be as good as it was?
1: Well, yeah, there was a lot of letdowns, actually. first letdown was... Um, I I didn't realize how little of public land there is across the state. So where I live, where I ended up moving to, it's not like all of Iowa is awesome. So anybody listening, the whole state is not just like awesome for hunting in the sense that um, there's a lot that's just farmland. And and deer can be there during the summer, but they need somewhere to go when when the farm crops are taken out. And so there's a lot of the state that is so much all cropland it doesn't sustain deer year round. And, um, where I live, there's a lot of that. Um, not far from the city. It's a lot of, crop. like, I know, like the first week I was here, there was a lady at church who, um, I was leading this Bible study and she's like, Oh yeah, we have a farm. I'm like, "Woo yes. You know, like how far are you from here? You know, and she's like, yeah, but there's not a single tree on our farm. So I was like, Oh, so they got like a couple hundred acres, but it's all crops. And when the crops are gone, the deer are gone. Um, so that was a letdown, and um, the the public land that they do have that's somewhat close, um, it's it's hit hard. And then I traveled to the public land where I did well, you know, in the past, and it was still there were so many guys there that I was not prepared for that. So you know, you, if you're public land hunting, you really have to hit it right in order to um, to avoid those 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 pockets of pressure. And when I when I came out. I got here the weekend that, that was the end of the second week of November. So when I pulled into the parking lot on public land that weekend, I was coming in blind. I'd never even set foot in the state of Iowa. I just studied the maps and picked out my spots. And I pulled into the parking lot. There were five cars in the parking lot. And I was like, oh, this is not good. I hiked back into like a mile to get to the spot I wanted to get to. And there were deer standing at the spot, my waypoint. There was like a, a, it was only a small buck with chasing a couple does around, but at least I put myself in the right spot. And um, it turned out this was another eye opener. I've been a a climbing tree stand guy my whole life basically. And in, on the East coast, you have tons and tons of, of oak trees that you can just get a climber up in. Yeah. I mean, you, it's never even a question. Like you go anywhere you go, you're going to be able to get up in a climber here. I could not find a tree that I could use a climber. in. I was like, totally stressing out it's breaking daylight and um i just i ended up having to set up like 70 yards from where i i had put my waypoint just because i that was the closest i could get in a tree and i had a i had a guy on there was like out here there's lots of draws and little like ridgy type things just from um you know almost like erosion and and like the uh what do you call it the glacier movement back you know, a long time ago, and rather than having big mountains that you've got to climb up. So I'm, a, I'm at the top of one little, like, ridge-type thing, on, draws on both sides of me, and I have this guy on the next one over rattling, like, nonstop. And he's only, like, 100 yards from me, but it sounds like he's sitting right next to me. And um, I'm thinking, dude, do you, do you not know what you're doing? I, I mean, like, people – there's a lot of people who don't know what they're doing and they come out here and they think they're just going to go out and set up and rattle and they're going to shoot a monster, you know, and that's not good hunting. I mean, you might get lucky, uh, but you got to you got to pra- do best practices and you got to pay – like when I go out hunting – if the wind is not right, I will not touch a call. It doesn't even matter. Like if if I, There's a chance that the deer are going to be downwind to me when I pick up a call. I will not even do it. I'd rather see no deer and have them not find out where my tree stand location is than try calling, still see no deer, but they alert them that I'm there. You know. So this guy is just going crazy. And I had a buck come literally right underneath me, like an 8-point, maybe like 110-inch 8-point. And um, the buck just looked over at the guy you know rattling like crazy and then he turned around and walked the other way you know like um so that was the first weekend though and as soon as the weekend ended there was no one it, I, it was i was the only person there and i had like i had three big tracks of public land that i was bouncing between and i was trying to keep all my tree stand locations fresh by not going to the same one two days in a row even though it's public land i still try to you know do best practices and um And I was seeing deer. I was seeing buck every single day. I was passing buck every day. The biggest buck I saw was probably a 170 class, public land. I couldn't get video of him. It drove me nuts. He was about, um, he was probably about 75 yards away from me going through the woods. And there was just so many trees and branches in the way. And those of you who film yourself know that it is really hard to find a deer sometimes in that tiny little screen when you're trying to hunt and you're seeing a giant buck you you know you also don't want to ruin the hunt so and and during the rut they're moving they're they're, they're on the go and um i saw him moving I, I tried to get the camera on him, i just couldn't but i mean profile if you picture the profile look of a deer the the main beam went went past the tip of his nose he had a really really long main beam it was like a picket fence you know all the tines were really long like 10 12 inches or more um of your main you know your twos and threes and stuff and uh just a lot of everything up there and i just thought man that is probably the biggest buck i'll ever see at that time i didn't think i was going to end up moving to iowa um i I, at that time i thought that was probably the biggest buck i was ever going to see in the woods and um you you know so i don't even remember where we started with the question (laughs) there I just started rambling and now I'm like, where am I?
0: It kind of surprises me to hear somebody from PA say that, you know, there's a lot of hunting pressure in Iowa. Cause every time I look at like any YouTube video about PA hunters, you know, they're so much public, so much pressure, you know, and you hear these horror stories come out of Pennsylvania about pressure. And then to hear you talk about Iowa in the sense that it's heavily pressured, surprising to me
1: well you know the, the the thing about it is is that your your public land tracks are not very big and so well where i live i'm i'm in i'm literally in a city and so you have you know i don't even know what the population is here let's say it's a couple hundred thousand you got a couple hundred thousand people and a 300 acre piece of public land 15 minutes away you know everyone's going there so um you know if you're if you're willing to get away from cities you're you're gonna be okay like my friend, that guides out here in Iowa, my buddy John Ortlieb, um, his friend moved out here and started a like a guide business, and so he comes out and helps every year. And for years, he's like, "Sean, you got to just come hunt out here. You know, nobody hunts public land." He would drive by the public land parking spots, and he'd never see any vehicles. Well, I don't know if it just changed since then or what. If if people are catching on, but it, they get pressure now, you know, during the rut. But not so much. It's only during the rut. You know, I mean, that's when you see all the cars. Nobody really bothers early season. So if you want to get out during the early season, that's a good time. Or, or after the peak of the rut. You know, most people in their minds, the first two weeks of November is the best time to be out. So that's when we are out. So if you get outside of that, it's not too bad. But, but yeah, I actually – I that was a, a surprising disappointment for me was, like, not having – good public land opportunities that you could get away from people here you know like i said where I, where i was living 13,000 acres of public land out my back door i knew i could hunt i could walk 2 miles and get away from people and i knew where to go that people wouldn't think to go based on topography and so i could find i could find my areas that weren't get, that deer didn't see another person that year um, but you you're not going to find that here But what you do have opportunities as a resident is, you know, I've had people from my church offer me to hunt. That Like, this guy's like, I got five acres here, you can hunt that. I got ten acres there, you can hunt that. And I hate hunting tiny little pieces of of woods. However, you're in Iowa, so your chances of seeing deer and buck are still good. And here's another thing, I'll throw this in. Uh, You know, as far as the state of Iowa goes, one thing I've learned since I've been here is – you know, South Southern Iowa is is where it's at. Even the residents, like people that I talk to, like when I tell them how I came and I hunted Zone Five, they're like, they just stare at me and go, "How, how, how did you know to go there?" I was like, "Well, my friend told me." They're like, "Oh, okay." Because <laughs> even people who live, even people who live in Iowa, they they travel to Southern Iowa to hunt, or they buy land in Southern Iowa to to hunt. So that's where it's at. I mean, the uh, you know albia there's that the albia buck you know that that's southern iowa that's right i mean that's right near where i was hunting i i didn't even know any of that going into it but um it's i mean there's guys that my buddy that guides down there there's people that own land even the outfitters they have property off the edges of the public land and they they get trail camera pictures of 200 inch deer on their properties and very often those deer are bedding down on the public ground and coming off to feed in the crops on their managed land in the evenings so you can it's potential that you could shoot a 200 inch buck on public land in iowa you just got to do it um, in the right area and really if you want to do it i i would recommend look focusing on southern iowa look at where the public land butts up against outfitter land because that's all managed and they got all the food there and um and think about it no outfitter is going to put their hunter on public land but um i hope i don't get in trouble for saying this but uh, my buddy the guides they tracked a deer last year right to a spot i actually hunted here when i did my blind hunt it's like topography wise it's it's like. You, you you drool over it. You're like, oh my gosh, that spot's got to be awesome. And I went in there, and I had a lot of problems getting set up, um, and finding a tree that I could set up in. But um, and I screwed it all up because of how much noise I made trying to set up. And but anyway, um, that spot they tracked a shot deer to that spot, and all of the guides looked at each other and said to each other, "Somebody's got to come back here. This is too good to not." I mean, somebody's got to come put a stand here, and they all like we're scheming like like which one of us is going to do it because I mean, um, it's really good. So my point though is, if you really want a big buck, um, there's there are spots that that can produce on public ground, and I'm and I am talking 200 inch caliber, um, but you got to know where to go, and when you like knowing topographies is the first step, but then when you go and look at it, you need habitat too. And some spots have the habitat, and when I say habitat, I mean something so thick that a buck could honker down in that and get big with, without being shot. You know, that that's like a that's like a component you need. You need something that they can hide in, and this this one piece of public ground had it all.
2: If if you're a resident in Iowa, are you able to hunt any of the zones?
1: Yeah, you can hunt anywhere. You can, I mean, you get a, a statewide tag. For archery and for gun, and you have to. They, they actually have different gun seasons. See, in Pennsylvania, you buy a gun tag, you can hunt during any gun. You know, the gun season is just like three weeks long. Here, they have early muzzleloader, first shotgun, second shotgun, late muzzleloader. So you have to pick which one of those you want going into it. And, and I don't hunt with a gun. I, I don't even. I never even bought a gun. Like. People have given me guns as give I have a shotgun because it was given to me as, as a present. I have a muzzle loader from that whole um, when I got picked to be on that TV show um, they sent me a muzzle loader that whole thing so I have a muzzle loader from that so I'm like well I don't have any land of my own so I'm, it's not like I have food sources that I can hunt late muzzle loader so I I not knowing what to do I picked early muzzle loader. And um, I got out like once or twice and I hunted public land and I, I would have guys walk right up on me each time. It was frustrating. Um, so early muzzleloader, I, I didn't sit in any of the other gun season, but people take off work. There's a lot of people that, that hunt in Iowa that only hunt with a gun. So people that pick early muzzleloader, they take, that's their week of work that they take off. And so there's guys out there all day long, every day, hitting it hard, because that's all the time they got. But if you want to try to if you want to try to hunt public land you know, in like the muzzle or any of the gun season, I'm, I'm sure you're gonna have plenty of other guys in there. And you know, I would get set up and it was so frustrating because I'm I'm there and it's cracking daylight and somebody comes clunking through with a tree stand one morning. he was probably a bow hunter. But like he's just clinkety clankity. I'm like, I, he pushed deer out. I had deer right near me, and I'm like clicking my flashlight at him, and he, I could I could hear him like, oh, you know, and he just goes clinkity clankity down through the woods, uh, just ruined it all. I didn't see a deer after that. So, so it, that that kind of stuff is you know, it's it's legit. It's here too.
2: Yeah, I think people sometimes get the grass is greener syndrome, and yeah. like you're saying before. I think the micro scale is oftentimes a lot more of something that could be a key factor than the macro scale when people look at
1: it, like one state being better yeah. than another. Yeah. Okay. Well, the nice thing about Iowa is that as far as non-residents go, you're really restricted. So you don't have a lot of people coming in. I mean, like – um You know, the zone five that I hunted in, I I don't remember how many tags they give out, but I think it's only like 300 tags or something for that zone. So that helps keep the deer there. Um, So, you you know, as coming in as a non-resident, you still have a good number of deer. And, I mean, like that spot that I hunted where there was five cars in the parking lot, I mean, it's still like a square mile of woods, so you can spread out – but, yeah, I would say, you know, don't give up if people are if people are thinking of coming and hunting here. It's still a good option. I just was giving you a worst-case scenario. But there's also those same patches of woods. You can shoot a 200-inch buck legitimately. So I, I don't know if I ever finished that thought. But if you look on the maps at the public land and look at where's the cropland and the outfitter land, outfitters are, are really what you want because they're going to keep standing food. And then you just need to find where they're, where they're bedding down at. You know what I mean? Because right. they're going to come bed down. And a lot of those outfitting lands, the, the, the deer are bedding down on public ground next to it, the, where the public ground is. And so you just need to find that, that travel corridor. So, When you did the non-resident hunt, how yeah. many
2: points did you need to get to, to finally draw that tag?
1: I had I was sitting on three points. And so I put in for the tag and I got it um so most people in the southern zone like zone five they're they're usually typically having three or four points my friend who guides down there is under the impression that it's going to get easier to draw a tag he said there was an ehd or something breakout years ago that that knocked a deer herd down real bad so a lot of people just sat on their points and then when they started to cash in, it became harder to draw a tag, because you know they were sitting on more points. Yep. And so um, he's thinking that that we're, we're going to start coming back out of that, and that you'll be able to, he used to hunt before he got it out there. Uh, he used to hunt there every like he would draw a tag with like two points, like all the time. So um, he used to draw, but I don't know maybe you just have more people applying nowadays too like hunting's a big thing and a lot of people are more into it now and um, you know more into going on big hunts and stuff so but but yeah, so I was sitting on three points and basically like everybody that knows me as soon as I, got this job in Iowa. They all went out and bought a point this year. All (laughs) all my friends are sitting on the points and they're, they're all, it's a little bit of pressure too, because I think they're all expecting me to set them up, (laughs) which I'll do my best to do. But there's a lot, that's a lot of people I got to deal with, you know, take care of. They're all, um, they're
0: all expecting one sixties or better in two years. Exactly.
1: Exactly. Um, So yeah, well I'll do the best I can, but at least there's a lot of deer out here, so hopefully we'll get them on something. Um, but yeah, so every all of my friends, but I'm in zone I'm in zone seven, like I said. So there's a chance that they'll be drawing a tag in a year or so, and um, it'll just be a matter of if I can find enough. I I'd have to try to find some private land for them, really. And um, I've got I've got access to some, but I I could use a little bit more to, you know, to facilitate my buds. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm used to, well, Bobby and I both are used to just enormous amounts of public, kind of like what you had in Pennsylvania. Yeah. I mean, within yeah. within an hour and a half drive, I forgot access to probably, well, I know well over 50,000 acres between yeah. Minnesota and Wisconsin. And then obviously when we were down in Missouri, there's tens of thousands of acres of public that really, I didn't think had that much hunting pressure when we were there anyway, so. Yeah.
0: No, I mean, it, that whole area where I was, born and raised in Missouri you know it wasn't until we hunted publicly and we had private that we could run on but we hunted publicly and pretty much all my life and it wasn't until I was about 18 or 19 that I actually encountered another public land hunter that I did not know was hunting Uh, in the area and it was mind-blowing to me that I run into somebody out there because I'd been uh, hunting since I was 11 and never seen anybody else you know out there and even when me and Garrett were out there this year you know scouted a couple hundreds acres of land and didn't encounter anybody else. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah. I was thinking of giving that a try, down there. Did you, how did you how did your season go, Garrett? I, I mean, I I tuned into a couple of your videos, but I've been so busy with the move that I haven't really had a chance to do much, check out much. Yeah, so I ended up shooting
2: three deer this year. I shot a doe on opening morning in Wisconsin with a longbow, and then I shot another one in Minnesota, and then I shot that eight-pointer in
1: Missouri hunting with Bobby. Nice. Okay. Yeah, I saw the one, the one doe shot, and then I saw. I think I saw the eight pointer video as well. So I might just. I miss. I must have missed the longbow one because I don't think I saw that one. Okay. I i I've thought about like Wisconsin is like uh, my friend Jason Farmer who I mentioned to you earlier. Um, well before we were. Hopefully before the – I mean, we've been recording this for a long time, but before – hopefully we'll start after that because we were just yeah. chit-chatting. Um, but I mentioned him then. He was doing some research, and I think Wisconsin has the highest number of Boone and Crockett buck harvests per year or something like that. So um, I was I thought about – I don't know. I thought about at some point trying to make a trip up there. I'm only like two hours from the border of Iowa and Wisconsin, but – I just had, you know, having four little kids and stuff, it's just, it's hard to find time to do much, you know? So yeah, it's on, it's on my to-do list. I'd like to get up there at some point, but we'll see. So you, how long you've been hunting Wisconsin? Oh, since I was
2: able to hunt. I lived in Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah. I lived in Wisconsin in uh, grade school and high school. So that was where I hunted basically until I moved to Minneapolis for college and, and even then, I still travel over to Wisconsin to hunt. So I've I've been hunting it for a really long time, in yeah. various regions. How, how
1: how far of a drive is it for you to get to Wisconsin now? To get to the
2: border, it's maybe thirty five forty minutes.
1: Oh, that's not bad at but all. But then
2: to to the places I hunt, it's you know between like forty five and an hour and a half,
1: just depending okay. on where I want to go. Okay. Have you ever seen any any you know Boone and Crockett qualifiers? Mm, probably not legitimate booners.
2: I've yeah. seen some deer that I would I would consider really nice, you know, public land deer, yeah. like one hundred and fifty plus. Yeah, um, but I mean, it's like it's like anything. I mean, even in Minnesota, there's a lot of public land around the Twin Cities, and I know of deer that are one hundred and sixty class plus that are shot on there, even though they get tons of hunting pressure every year.
1: Yeah, what's the deer numbers like in Wisconsin and in Minnesota? Like, like is there a, a decent number, or is it like are they scarce? Are they hard to come by? Like, what are you uh, what are you dealing with there? I, I think they're. I think they're fine. You,
2: you'll find, well, it depends on where you're at. Um, yeah. typically the Northern parts of both of those States, people will often kind of tell you that the, the numbers are very low. I don't spend enough time up there to really be able to tell you firsthand. Uh, but the general consensus is the Northern Minnesota and Northern Wisconsin don't have very good deer numbers, but then you mm-hmm. get toward kind of the Southern and kind of the farmland regions of those States, the deer numbers are pretty high. So yeah. it
1: kind of depends on where you're at. Okay. Yeah, I was curious because, um, you know, not having time to go up and scout around, I've also been wondering, is it worth it? Like, you know, what the what are the deer numbers like? I had something unique happen this year. Um, like, I shot all my deer out of one tree this year, um, which was like a first. So, um, but it just kind of goes to show you, it's because I had so, I only had a few properties that I could hunt, you know, coming in so late to the whole thing and. I could only get, so I I did the urban hunt. I I couldn't get any doe tags. By the time I could buy my hunt license, they were all sold out. And so I got in on this urban hunt thing that they have a lot of tags. They want to get rid of the deer in the city. So I only had a few properties and I just ended up getting all the deer out of this one tree. Um, But it just kind of goes to show you there's that many deer. Like in Pennsylvania, if I would have shot a deer out of a tree, the deer, you wouldn't, you'd, like some of the areas I hunted, They're so skittish and smart that they're like, Yeah, this isn't, this is not safe. We're not coming back (laughs) here. You know, the deer out here are like, Where'd Butch go? Uh, What was that? Uh." You know, it's like this, like you could shoot a deer out of the tree and go back a week later and there's more deer coming because there's just that many deer. So I don't know. It was a different experience for me. Yeah, I've
2: got a couple buddies who've been trying to put plugs in my ear for the last several years to start applying for iowa and the biggest thing for me has yeah. always kind of been like well by the time i get you know two or three or four or whatever points that i'll take to draw tack on the cost of a non-resident license it's like man for that same yeah. price i could just drive out to colorado and get like an Elcon in yeah
1: yeah yeah i that, i agree i mean it, it's Iowa's great but it is expensive you know what i mean and um Yeah, but, I mean, now you know me, so, I mean, I could set you up. All my other (laughs) friends are are kind of like, um, but, yeah, I could could help, yeah, if you wanted. But, yeah, you know, I do want to talk to you about, like, the whole elk hunting thing because I've been talking to a couple other buddies, and we kind of were forecasting, like, a 2020 elk trip. Um, just, you know, public land type thing. I've never elk hunted. It was always like a, a bucket list, bucket list thing growing up. Mm-hmm. I never thought it would actually materialize. But now that I'm like halfway there living in Iowa, you know what I mean? It's before it was like driving from PA out to like Colorado. It's like, man, I just don't know if I can, if I got it in me, but now it's like, well, I'm halfway there now. So, um, a couple buddies of mine, uh, and I, we were just talking about, we were thinking shooting for 2020 doing an elk trip um out there and but yeah we haven't done it yet so i'll have to pick your brain on some of that like what some stuff that we should keep in mind for getting ready for that oh yeah yeah i'll be back out there in colorado this
2: fall most likely so yeah
1: now you're you're doing um elk this time but i know was it last year you shot a mule deer yep by yeah. the way, that was really awesome. I t- I took that as like a real <laughs> providence of God thing. You know, you here you are, you set up the video camera, you're gonna get a little like B-roll footage or something, and oh wait a second, there's a deer.
0: Yeah, it's a shooter. Could he couldn't have got any luckier in that <laughs> it was all, up it was that all, B-roll. It's it was, like it was. It was so perfect, it was staged. It's like, yeah. there's no <laughs> way. Somebody has to have this deer on a leash and lead it out in front of him when this happens. God, <laughs> what did you to have that happen. deer? That,
1: that, was a, that was a God moment in my eyes, man. Well, was what, was, awesome.
2: what was crazy, too, is when I first saw the deer, I was trying to get a shot at it off camera. I wasn't expecting that it would continue to walk in the frame, <laughs> but as luck would have it, I'd never had a clear shooting lane until it wrapped all the way around it and it was perfectly lined in the frame.
1: Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So, that was that your first muley?
2: Yeah, it was.
1: Yeah. Cool. i almost went on a muley uh, pronghorn hunt this year i had a fan um reach out to me from virginia i think it was he was going out to wyoming on a pronghorn and muley hunt and he's like look i could go and, and pay a guide or how about i just you know pay for your ticket and you come with me and you help me with the whole thing and i'm like well that sounds pretty awesome um we'll keep that on the radar but then i took this job in iowa and i was like oh, i'm sorry buddy i can't do it i mean i can't take <laughs> it i came into this new job and i can't be like hey by the way i need a, a week <laughs> off of work uh here in another month or two so i i, I had to back out of that but i, was, I almost got a, a chance to go out which was pretty cool but yeah that's that'd be something fun i think to try at some point oh yeah that's definitely
2: a a great experience and a great trip, even if you end up not shooting anything, which yeah. I mean, you look at the statistics, it's like statistically there's a pretty good chance you won't shoot something. So if you do, yeah. it's like icing on the cake, but it's like, even, even then the experience of being out there and, and running through the mountains and yeah. all that is great.
1: I guess is it, is it hard to come by them when you're doing like public land, do it yourself once?
2: Uh, our experience is that it, it hasn't been tough to find the elk, the, the challenge is figuring them out in just right. a, so short a period of time, right? Like if you lived out there, yeah. you could figure it out. Um, right. but just the fact that you're basically there, you know, it takes you a couple of days to kind of get your bearings. It seems like, um, try to, try to figure out the pattern. You start figuring out the pattern, things move a little bit, you get your scent, you know, in various areas. Yeah. And I mean, you can always kind of like, like you do with turkey hunting, you might be able to get one to respond to a call and get one to come in, but it's like, if that's not working, you're not hearing any right. bugling or anything. It's like okay, now you got to figure out the patterns and, and try and set up, you know, ambush spots on saddles or, or things like that right. to be able to get some natural movement
1: going by. Gotcha, oh, that's cool. Do you have like a a, a standard like I'll only shoot a bull, bull elk if it's this size or that size or? Oh, I'll, I'll shoot. You any, you? I'll shoot anything that's legal.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> like I said, I, I
2: I almost shot a cow the first or the second trip they were yeah. out there. and I just didn't feel comfortable with the shop, but I would have been more than happy to fill the tag on it. Right. Um, a lot of the places, too, they have, like, minimum restrictions. Like, the place we were at, I think, was a, a four-point, basically like an APR, where it had to have four points on, on one side. Mm-hmm. So it's like any legal bull, however old right. that ends yeah. up being.
1: Yeah. that's – I mean, I same with me. Like, I – I, I mean antlers are great but at the same time like it's not the, the end all be all like if I went on an elk hunt I, I'd be happy with your your equivalent of a teenager you know what I mean not like a big mature bull I don't you know what I mean I'm not picky I I just I like harvesting things <laughs> you know what I mean if all you do is like watch your animals walk by and you're always waiting for the biggest one it's like well that's just—I mean—that's great if you—if that's the way you like to do it. But I'm not that person, mm-hmm. especially yeah. when you're traveling out of state. and Your yeah, time's or, limited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't worry about it. Some people—it it has to be the biggest, the biggest buck or the biggest bull. I'm—I'm not, I'm not that person. Well, when I go for mule deer, I'm going to set up a camera and I'm going to walk out in front of it, <laughs> and I want to see if that works for me. It'll work for you? Or maybe it will work for me.
2: Might as well try it.
1: Yeah, couldn't hurt. That was so sure. random. That was so <laughs> random. It, it's like
2: it's like if you want to see a deer on your on stand, just make sure you like just take out a sandwich and start eating it. Like that's
1: yeah. Oh yeah. The first deer I ever shot on video was a spike, back in nineteen ninety five, and I mean, going into the season, I was like, I'm only going to shoot like a big ten pointer or whatever, and this is like. Yeah, you know, I'm a college student, you know, and I want to be a professional hunter. So I'm trying to make hunting videos. And I'm begging my friends to video me. And by the end of the season, we hadn't even gotten close to getting a deer, you know, on at all, you know, so, um, I was desperate, like absolute desperation. I literally was like, if a fawn walks by me, I will shoot it. <laughs> I need to get something. And, um, it was like the, right near the end of the season, we went out and I, here's the sandwich part. I, I took out a sandwich. I started eating a sandwich, and my buddy's like, "A deer, a deer, a deer!" You know, he's in in the stand on the other side of the tree, filming for me. And um, so I'm like holding this big sandwich. It was a, a big Kaiser roll with cheese in it, like because I didn't want it, anything <laughs> to go bad. So I just put you know cheese. It was like 30 degrees outside, so I figured that'd be. okay. So I'm holding this thing. I'm like, "Where am I going to put this?" So I end up putting it on the platform of the stand not thinking i would kick it off of the stand <laughs> but as the buck was i called i grunted a few times and the deer turned and came right towards us and i'm like and he he was zigzagging back and forth like left to right so i'm like i have my bow pointed off on the left side of the tree and then he then he turns and he's going the other side so i turn around so i have my bow pointing off the other side of the tree and this back and forth back and forth and i ended up kicking the sandwich right off of the tree and it just makes this loud thud. And I'm like, I'm just totally expecting this deer to take off and run. But, you know, it's the rut. So it's, and it's a spike. So he's stupid. <laughs> and, um, and he just kind of walks right up to the sandwich. And then he sees the baggie that the sandwich was in. He walks over and he puts his nose in the baggie. And, um, I totally like spazzed out in my mind. Like, I thought this deer is going to, you know, snort and run. So I quick rushed a shot and, um, I missed him. So, I didn't even know what happened at the time, but years later I figured it out because I missed another deer in a similar situation. Um, so I'm left eye dominant, and I always shoot. Um, I shoot right handed, so I always just close. I always just closed my left eye growing up, and um, in the moment I was so excited, I never closed my left eye, so I aimed with my left eye <laughs> and made the arrow go a foot to the left of where I was aiming. So, um, so anyway, that was that was the. My sandwich story. There you have it. You said take out a sandwich in a deer will call them, and that's what happened.
2: <laughs> I
1: wouldn't lie to you. Yeah, you're right. So everyone listening, just bring a cheese sandwich and uh, you know, take it out when the deer movement's slow. So yeah. w- would it be better to set up B roll footage of you eating this sandwich, yeah. so you double your that's, chances of well, this that, deer coming out? You, that's when you want a ten pointer. You know, that's when you, <laughs> that's when you want a big buck. So you do the B roll and the sandwich, and then you're good. Then, then, it's, <laughs> then you're in the money.
0: That's why I've never gotten into filming hunts. I just can't. You know, too much going on.
1: It's it's you know, Garrett. Do you ever get sick of it?
0: Uh sometimes.
2: I I don't get sick. I don't get sick of the the filming, I get sick of the setup and just having to deal with all the components and, yeah. you know, it's like I can climb a tree and be ready to hunt in five minutes, but I'm dealing with the camera gear, triple that, you know, it's like, and then you gotta yeah. take everything back down, hunt in the cold yeah. weather and your fingers get numb and it gets old yeah. after a
1: while, but yeah, I get, I actually, is. yeah, I get sick of it. I, I mean, I, I've thought about just going with the hat camera over the last couple of years, like just, leave the camera arm at home, you know, and there was actually a couple hunts. If you, if people watched any of my videos this year, there were a few hunts where it was hat footage only because I was just like, you know what? I'm just, I'm not, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it today. Like I, I only had dough tags left and I'm like, H- how many people are going to watch a dough video anyway? <laughs> you know? So I just like, I'm just going, I would leave the uh, video camera in the bag put a hat camera on, shoot the deer, pull the video camera out to do the commentary afterwards. Let me tell you let me tell you how nice that was. You know, just to not have to set up carry the camera arm, set the thing up and yeah, it was nice. I could get used to that. If you look
2: at it, my my videos as a, a whole last season, the hunts that I did shoot deer on, I actually didn't have a single one where I had footage of the shot on the main camera. Yeah. So a lot of my shots were on the head cam. And it was like they were close, yeah. like 10-yard shots. You, you do a little crop, they actually yeah, look pretty that, decent. That dough, yeah, dough, yeah. So it's like, you know, I, I've kind of had the same thought process as you. Is like, is there a way that I can get decent enough footage that it, it's not, like, hurting my video quality significantly, but right. yet it still makes the process easier? So I've been doing some experimenting right. and buying various cameras
1: to play around with that. Yeah, what I started to do this year was um, – I have multiple different camcorders you know and video cameras and stuff, and actually one of my older ones is pretty small, so I was putting it in my pocket, and if deer were moving, I would take it out and, and get you know using both hands, try to keeping it steady. I'd zoom in, get good footage of it of the deer, and um, you know, as they got closer, I would just kind of put it in my pocket and then turn on the hat camera. And then as far as putting the video together, you know, I could show the footage of the deer. And if I was getting enough footage when they were out but zoomed in, you know, you get a good look at them. And by the time you just spliced it all together, it kind of worked, you know. Um, did, I didn't do that on every hunt, especially as it got colder, you know, when it was like 10 degrees out. And I usually don't put a glove on my shooting hand just because um, I want to make sure I can feel everything. Um So if you're holding a video camera with that hand and it's 10 degrees and that camera's cold, I mean, your fingers are numb before long. And then when it comes time to shoot, it's like now my hand's all numb, you know. So I think earlier in the season, I'll just try to fill all my tags earlier in the season next year.
2: Do you say that? that, that, Seriously, it's like so much easier in early season. Everything is easier. You don't get cold. Well, I, mean, I guess the bugs yeah. are a little bit worse. That's probably the only negative. Yeah. There's less hunters. Yeah. The deer yeah. Aren't, as, aren't as skittish. Yeah.
1: I like hunting early season. Yeah. yeah, me too. Yeah, I'll take that. This year was my first year hunting with a thermosel. Um, on the Ohio hunt, we were so eaten up by mosquitoes that we needed them. I was so glad to have it. But you know what? I had deer going downwind to me. Of course, I was 25 feet up in a tree, but it didn't hurt me, I don't think. I was always worried if the deer would smell that or not, because you can smell it. It puts out a smell. But How do you think, um,
0: from your point of view, how has, like, digital scouting and social media changed how people hunt over the past, you know, your channel's been around for 10 years. How's that changed in the 10 years?
1: Oh, man, digital scouting is is, is the bomb. I mean... It's almost unfair to the animals. Say. Um, just the fact that you can, you know, look at all the topo and aerial photos, it's such it, it it's so helpful. And even being able to carry GPSs with you. I would be I would be in bad shape if I didn't have my GPS. It's actually sitting right here. Um so that's a I mean, that's just a huge help for for the hunter. And then you you then you tack on like social media, like most of the people that write to me. They didn't grow up hunting. They didn't have anyone to teach them. So they're going on YouTube to just watch hunting videos and, and listen to people who know what they're doing. And and I I just get hundreds of emails every year from guys telling me the same thing. Like, I'm so grateful for your videos. Um, I didn't grow up hunting. I, you know, I didn't have a mentor. And, and you just really, your videos have helped me so much, you know. So... And I also have people writing to me, sharing me their success stories and, and the pictures. Like, here's the first buck I ever harvested, and I really attribute it to the videos that I watched on your channel. So, there you have somebody. There's so many people writing to me saying that. So, there's so many people out there who are growing significantly in their ability to hunt and harvest as a result of social media and things like that. Um, so yeah, I think it helps a lot of people and it does make it easier for us. So. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot
2: of people that talk about the negatives with social media, but like you just said, I think there's definitely been some big positives that have kind of come out of that this new era that we're in.
1: Yeah, as far as learning and being able to learn, that's that's the people I'm thinking of. I mean, what are some of the negatives that you guys think about when you think of social media?
0: Just like you were talking about with Iowa, the perception that people get of oh, going yeah. to Iowa, this is what I'm going to kill, you know, right. a 170 or better, basically. Yeah. When in all reality, that's not it. I mean, it's yeah. just, people's perceptions and expectations of going yeah. to
1: areas like that yeah.
0: is one big one to me. Yeah,
1: yeah. so that's, I mean, that's a huge negative, and that hurts your younger people. Like, when I say younger, your people who are newer as well, who don't know the ins and outs of hunting and, and having the correct expectations. I mean... Hunting is hard. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter where you are. Hunting isn't easy. I mean, there's going to be times where it's going to all work out and it's going to seem like, wow, that was super easy. But when you take it collectively, it's called hunting, not killing, you know, cuz we don't just go out and kill stuff. We go out and we try hard and there's so many times it don't work out. You know, it don't matter where you are. And I used to guide in Illinois, and the outfitter, it was really good that he would say this. Every Every year when guys would come in, he'd sit everybody down for an opening talk. He said, You paid for a trophy hunt, not a trophy kill. You paid for the opportunity to maybe get a shot at a trophy deer. It's not a guarantee. And that's really what it is. Like even if people you spend thousands of dollars to go on this big hunt, it's not a guarantee. You know what I mean? You might you might get a shot at a good one, but it don't mean you will so i mean that's another thing too for people who are out there who are thinking of doing like an outfitter hunt you know it's those are great and everything but if you're new at hunting there's still a lot that is on your shoulders like you gotta still do the right stuff in the stand there's so many guys that go out and just blow their hunts because they're they're alerting the deer what they're calling rather than attracting the deer they're not paying attention to the wind. The Paying attention to the wind is the biggest thing. And if you're a new hunter and you're out, even if you pay $5,000 to go to an outfitter and, and they're going to set you up in a stand, you still got to do the right thing when those deer are in the area and not alert them to your presence. And there's a lot of guys that go out on these hunts and they just blow it, you know. They don't shoot a big deer because they spook all. you know. So you got you to gotta work on your skills. It's not just a, a free-for-all. I think if you really want to shoot a big deer and you want it to be easy, then you need to go to a preserve with a fenced-in area You know where you're going to pay $10,000 for 80 180-inch uh, buck or whatever they charge. I mean, you're going to pay a ton of money, but people do it. Then you can brag to everybody, look at iShot. shot. I'm the mighty weight hunter. That's the only negative
2: I think I've seen with with social media, or I guess one of them is it seems like it gives people more opportunity to, to be ego-driven when it comes to yep. hunting. Yep. Get yep. Not not post a picture of your small buck because you're afraid of getting shamed or just it's trying a, to yeah. pass it on a buck with maybe not the ideas of QDMA, but maybe you just want to shoot a big buck just so you can post a picture on Facebook about it.
1: Yeah. And I, I watched a video today, and I'm not going to say who it was, but um, I watched a video today of a guy who was telling the story of his first buck he shot scored like 124 and he was angry cuz he you know his his minimum would have been a boon uh, not a boon I mean a pope and young buck you know and this is his first year his first year he ever shot he was he was he was mad that it had only scored 124 and I'm thinking what a shame what a shame you know what I mean like to be so focused on on that you know what I mean like i, I dude i remember how excited i was when i got my first year I didn't care, you know. I thought it was a half rack when it was coming in. I was like, I don't care, I'm shooting it, you know. I want to get this, I want a deer. <laughs> um, so, you know, I mean, I think that we we have to protect ourselves, you know what I mean. Like, everybody out there, you're a human being, you're influenced by other human beings. And you got to, there's certain times influences are good, and there's certain times that are they're not good. And when it comes to hunting, don't let other people's opinions and expectations influence you I mean get out there and enjoy it if you see an animal and it's just in and, and it's just you and that animal and you're having a good time and you want to seal the deal with a the harvest then you enjoy that and you don't let anybody take that from you and if somebody's gonna criticize you then you kick them to the curb in a sense you don't don't let it bother you, you just say I'm not gonna I'm not gonna listen to that is what you say to yourself and um, you know me as a, a s- sort of YouTube personality in a sense I, you know i had to go through my own struggles like i get people writing to me you know complaining about the size of the bucks i shoot and and it, it, these are a lot of these people are, are people who lived in the midwest or were so caught up in the whole antler thing even if they didn't live in the midwest there it was they were not living in reality you know and um i just had to do. you know, you know just excuse them from my mind. I was like I'm not going to let them bother me. I'm going to enjoy my hunting, you know. And if they're going to live in that world, they're the ones who are going to be upset and and not enjoying it cuz they're they're focused on the wrong things and their expectations are too high, you know. So, so that's a huge thing for people that are out there listening is like don't let people influence you to to that degree, you know. Enjoy your hunting. If you're not enjoying your hunting, then then find a different hobby. You know, just, just go do something else. To save your time. Yeah. That's my advice. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> I mean, too, it's... Hunting public land is always, like, you know, at least amongst public land hunters, it's, it's nice because then people, they lower a certain level of expectations. Oh, it's public land, so, you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll accept a slightly smaller deer then. <laughs> <laughs> No. That was one of the things that, that was a bummer for me when I couldn't get much good stuff going on for me on public land this year. It's like, oh I gotta I gotta hunt private land. I'm I'm just forced into it for this year. I gotta I gotta get something. All I was seeing on, on public land were small little four pointers and stuff, you know, as far as that were coming in within range in, in daylight. I didn't even see a shooter buck on public land this year. Um, I got a few okay ones on trail cameras, but even at that, nothing that motivated me to want to go try to get them. I got like some nines and eight, nine, and ten point type bucks that were probably three year olds. You know, you're you're one one thirty at best, and um, I just was like, yeah, hey, I'm not gonna put, a, I'm not gonna stress myself to shoot a one thirty. You know, try to, you know. So I mean, even though I don't let it be the end all be all i still i still have goals I, I do set and i try to work toward them but i also don't let it be the end all be all right i think the buck i shot this year ended up scoring like 135 which is good i mean i am I was happy with it i mean some people were like oh don't you wish you shot like a 150 i'm like well i i have a life it's not just hunting i mean i I can't just be in the stand all the time. I got four kids. I got a full-time job for the time I got. I'm happy. You know, I'm happy with the deer. If you're not happy with the deer, yeah. If you're not happy with the deer, then, then why are you doing it? You
2: know? So I guess sort of in closing, is there anything that now that you've kind of gone through this whole experience of coming from out East, taking a DIY out of state trip to Iowa and now having lived in Iowa and sort of, gone through a whole hunting season is there anything you would do differently now or that you're planning on doing differently for next year
1: yeah i i mean my preparation time was limited this year so i want to try to expand in my preparation time i want to try to continue to search for some public land that maybe doesn't get as much pressure so but i need more time to do that i i just didn't have much time this year to to really um check out some different public land areas i did drive by one during the rut um i was actually one one weekend i just went out driving around on a saturday during the rut looking to see how many cars were parked in which public land and i drove by one on that day at least there was not a single car in the parking lot so i'm gonna have that that's only a Oof, I, I'm going to hurt myself if I say how big okay. that one is. Like, If I give the acreage and people, if anybody in this remote area is listening, they'll, they'll be able to, because they, they post the acreages, and you can figure out which one it is. But that particular one didn't have cars there, so I'm going to actually do some more homework <laughs> there. Um, so anyway, one thing I'll do is I'll put more time in, because I'll ha- hopefully have more time, and I'll also I am going to look more into some private stuff, Um. I almost kind of hate to say it, but I am because uh, just you know uh, the the population size where I live now, it's it's pretty high, and the public land is pretty low. and um, you know, I still want to be able to do some hunting where I'm not overrun by hunters. so I am that's that's a new thing. I'm gonna be doing some more private land hunting next year. i do I do want to keep my edge though when it comes to hunting public land, so I do the map reading challenge every year. I'm going to continue to do that. And that's always public land. So there's going to still be public land, but I do think there's going to have to be just because of the amount of of pressure, the public land was getting throughout the best parts of the season where I live. I'm going to look into some more private. And, um, I'm also going to take time off next year during the rut. This was my first year in this job. So I didn't take time off. So I didn't get to hunt that much this year. Um, it, it it was really hard work for me to harvest. I got five doe and, and a buck, but I wanted to get the five doe so I could get the bonus buck tag for next year for the urban hunt. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, that was super duper hard to do. Like, I had a real hard time pulling that off. So, the, I only hunted like one or two days a week, but I tried to bounce around between the spots that I had. I only had like two spots. And I tried to just bounce around the best i could going from one to the other one to the other and it ended up being the one spot where i ended up getting all the deer um so it it drug out it was over like a three month period almost that that it it took me to get the the five doe um so i'm gonna another thing i'm gonna do differently for that is i'm gonna have more time to try to secure some more properties for that urban hunt i think i'm gonna continue to do that it was kind of fun but um but, yeah, so those are some of the things. Just basically more time getting more land up front and also more time scouting public land up front. Those are the biggest things. I think a lot of people probably do that. And I want to actually go out. The season's pretty much over here where I'm at. I've been meaning to go out and set up some trail cameras now to see if I can get some pictures of Buck on public land now that most guys are probably out of the woods um it just we just got five five more inches of snow today so i'm not sure how soon i'll be able to do that i'm gonna have to wait a little bit um but so that's i don't know i don't know if that help. It probably doesn't help anybody but that's that's some things i'm going to do differently for next year gotcha
2: i guess for people who want to i guess follow your stuff follow your journey look at your videos learn more about you where can they where's where's the best place for people to go
1: um so probably well i have the youtube channel sean's outdoor adventures and sean is s-e-a-n for the spelling um so i got that i also have a sean's outdoor adventures.com website you can find stuff through there those are probably the two main things as far as the hunting stuff goes but yeah if you go on youtube that's probably i mean i got over 400 videos So I've actually tried to put them in various playlists because I think you can probably access most of the playlists. So, like, videos that are, like, whatever. Like, I didn't have a specific thing. I would put them in a miscellaneous playlist. And so there's, like, probably a ton of videos in there that go back years. You have to check that out. But, yeah, YouTube, Sean's Outdoor Adventures is probably – I mean, I got over 400 videos. There's tons of videos. I try to set it up in playlists on the main page, like – so, like, I have one playlist called How to Hunt Whitetail Deer. There's probably, like, 35 videos on there. Just a little – they're designed to have tips in it for hunting. And then I have another playlist called uh, Hunting Strategies, which is same same concept. I just – I was trying to, like, not overload one playlist. So, I kind of just said, well, let's, let's call it something similar. So, there's a bunch of videos on that. And then I have a scouting playlist and a archery tips playlist. So, I try to kind of – put them in playlists. So if people have a particular topic they're interested in, they can click on it and just kind of watch the, through the different videos. I have a playlist on how-to videos, like various how-to type stuff. So, Awesome.
2: Well, we won't take out too much of your time, Sean. Uh, we really appreciate you jumping on and, and having that discussion yeah. with us tonight. Yeah. Thanks,
0: thanks for coming.
1: Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah.
2: And that'll do it for this episode. Make sure to check out the Sportsman's Nation on Instagram. Check it out on Facebook. Make sure to click like, subscribe. There's actually now a Sportsman's Nation YouTube channel. It's got just about a 1,000 subscribers as of right now. And in addition to that, of course, I have my own YouTube channel, DIY Sportsman. And Bobby has a YouTube channel as well, Boudreaux Boswell. He just uploaded a few videos. I uploaded a bunch of videos from the ATA show on products that I recently, not necessarily reviewed, but at least overviewed and interviewed the uh manufacturers of those products. So be sure to check that out as well.